Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray over the preaching moment. We appreciate you for your giving. And now we want to receive, we want to receive from the Lord. So dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, praise you, love you, and honor you. God, I'm praying that you would bless this preaching moment, let, allow revelation knowledge to flow freely, unhindered, uninterrupted, and unchecked by any satanic or demonic forces, God. Think through my mind, speak through my mouth, God. Touch the ears of your listeners, God. Illuminate their spirit. God, let this be a moment that will be unforgettable in our spirits. And so we will be uh, touched and eternally blessed. And, think, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, get your Bibles in your hands so we can do our confession together. This is my Bible. Come on, say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I will have what it says I will have. I'm a part of Deliverance Temple where we love. By living our vision every day, we connect with our Creator continually. We confess our deliverance consistently. We commit to serve creatively. We communicate Christ's love compassionately. Father God, feed me your word. Go ahead and put your hands together this morning. If you believe God's going to feed you. All right, so we are yet in our series, which is Healthy Church, and this will be the close of the series for now. We will pick it back up. This is the seventh installment of the series, so we've done six messages up until this point. This is the seventh message in the installment. We're going to take a break, and we will pick it back up either later this year or in 2024, because there's more to say. This is one of those things that could go on and on and on. As I've studied, there's just so much more coming uh, to me. So I, I, I want to pause it for a moment and take us in another direction, not because this is not beneficial, but y'all get bored quick. Our attention spans go, and so sometimes you got to change things up. And so after the seventh one, we're going to take a break, but we're going to come bring it on home today and then we'll pick it back up later. So today we're going to be with talking about healthy conscience. Healthy conscience. And uh in order to do this, there's two words that I'm going to be using and scripturally they can be interchangeable, but they're not necessarily interchangeable as in our English language. They're actually two different words and so I'm going to have to articulate them because they're very, very closely related. And so I'm going to articulate them so you know I'm talking about two different words, but they actually work together in concert. They actually work together. And as we go through this, I'm going to try to paint the picture. So I'm going to try to be slow and be articulate so you know exactly what I'm saying because I want to take us somewhere. I want to give us something that's going to benefit us in the long run. That's always my goal, not just to excite you, but to give you something spiritually that'll benefit you in the long run. And let me add this, you can't get it all on Sunday morning. So sometimes you have to revisit the sermon. And so we do it on Wednesday, we revisit the sermon and dig a little deeper. But sometimes you may have to go back and hear it again to catch what you miss because there are deposits being made that can help you when you get out there in the world in the attack that we are under. All right. Having said that, let's bring up these two words. And the two words are conscience and conscious. Conscience and conscious, which are not the same word. They're different words, but Biblically speaking, they work together in concert. And so I'm going to try to make sure I'm articulating so you know when I'm saying conscience and conscious because they're not the same, but they do work together. So what we're going to do, we're going to define them and hopefully you'll be tracking with me and you'll understand where we're going. So the focus is healthy conscience. But in order to do that, we got to think about our conscious. All right. So let's go and let's define the word conscience which is this. It's an inner feeling or voice acting as a guide to the rightness or wrongness of one's behavior. It's that inner voice. And we're not talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit plays 
its own role, but we're talking about our normal baseline. And what I mean by that, when you are raised and when you're brought up, there are certain things that you're taught. And as you grow, there are certain things that seem uncomfortable to you on the inside because you begin to early on learn right from wrong, which is not necessarily good. Because it leaves us with a choice. And so to back up a little bit, when the uh, Adam and Eve were in the garden, they had the tree of the knowledge. Uh, they had the tree of life. And then there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God told them, don't mess with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just stick with the tree of life. Well, what's wrong with the dip, with the knowledge of good and evil is the problem with that. It leaves you with a choice. And you don't always make the right choice. And so what God was telling them, just stick with life. Stick with my life and you'll figure it out. But they got tempted and they took the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And from the rest of our lives, now we have a choice between good and evil. And as saved as we are, we don't always make the right choice. Because our flesh sometimes craves what we should not have. But there's a voice on the inside of us that is usually saying, uh-uh, don't do that. Don't go that far. Slow the car down. Don't take another drink. But just because we hear it inside of us doesn't mean that our flesh always lines up. And it leaves us a lot of times in turmoil, which is what God never wanted them to have. He wanted them to just walk with him. Because if you just walk with him, you don't have to worry about good and evil because he is everything you need. But when they grabbed of that tree, it opened their eyes to another level. And what it did, it made them uh, the purveyors of their own life where now they have to choose. And as long as you're choosing right, it's good. But when you choose wrong, it's bad. And then on top of that, there's something called guilt and shame. It's a whole system that God never wanted us to be a part of. But guess what? We are. We're in it. And so our conscience works to try to guide us, to let us know, no, you, you, you said too much. Have, have you ever started getting angry and something in you is trying to tell you, uh, slow down, uh-uh, calm down. And, and, but you don't want to listen to it. And then next thing you know, you go off. So I know y'all ain't never done that, but see, I didn't just get angry. I would go off. But I didn't start off going off. I started off just a little angry. But at some point, I couldn't control it. It was switched. But there was a little voice inside of me saying, no, Andre, it's okay. It's okay. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I want to tell them. And then the next thing you know, I done went off. And so, clean, yeah, clean off. At least I got at least one other witness that, that I've been there. But our conscience tries to help us. All right. So let's let, let's move on. And uh, this this will help us. First Corinthians 15, 33. Read that. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. What does this got to do with my conscience, Pastor? I, I, I'm going to I'm going to bring it home in just a minute. Uh, let's go to conscious. Let's define that. Conscious, which is different than conscience, is aware of and responding to one's surroundings. Awake. Now here was the problem in the Garden of Eden. They became awake to the knowledge of good and evil when they were only supposed to be awakened to God. And so let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 34. So 33 says, bad company corrupts good morals. But verse 34 says what? Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. So Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, and if you know anything about the church of Corinth, they were a wild community. In other words, they were like Vegas. They Whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Whatever happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth, but then God began to save some of them. But then they were bringing that old, crazy, wild culture, and they were trying to be disciplined in the church, and they were struggling. They were getting into some crazy stuff just because it was in them. We have to sometimes be honest. Some of the stuff we get into is because it's in us. It was raised in us. My, my, my daddy was a pimp. My my mama was crazy. And so I'm trying to live saved, but I got some stuff in me that's not altogether lovely. And it's in my whole history. 
It's a generational curse. And so what Paul told the church of Corinth, he said, this is what will help you awake to righteousness and sin. Not. In other words, you have been awakened to this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but you don't always choose the right thing. But I need you to awake to righteousness. And before that, he warned them, bad company, it corrupts good morals. So no matter how good your conscience is, if you keep being around the wrong company, it will affect your conscience and you will start making choices that are worse than even what you decided because you got with the wrong crowd. You, you, you start functioning with the wrong people and everybody, you love everybody, but you can't hang around everybody because everybody's spirit doesn't jive together. And sometimes you don't know it until people start pushing you to do what you don't want to do. And when you say you don't want to do it, they make fun of you for not doing it. And now you're making choices just to fit in. We got young people who are not bad young people, but they're around a group of folk that are so wild. In order for them to fit in, they got to dibble and dabble and stuff they didn't plan on dibbling and dabbling in. And their conscience is telling them don't do that, but their conscience is just following the crowd. And so having said that, let me give you three points that will help us. Here's A, an unhealthy conscience. I'm going to wait for y'all to get there. There we go. An unhealthy conscience stems from a poor consciousness of God. Two different words. An unhealthy conscience stems from a poor awakeness to God. So that little voice inside of us, if it doesn't know anything about God, it doesn't stick its hand up when you start doing stupid stuff. Because there is no godly baseline. That's why the world seems to keep getting crazier and crazier because there is no God consciousness. And so what we normally would say, even unsafe folk when we were growing up wouldn't do that. See, back in the day, even unsafe folk, when they were bumping their music, when they drove by the church, they turned the music down because they respected the consciousness of God. Somebody in the family had taught them about God, but we living in a generation that have no consciousness of God. So they're doing some stuff that we wouldn't have thought of. Let, let, let me say this, and, and this, I don't mean it to sound uh, racial, but it may come off that way, but I don't mean it like that. But growing up, whenever there was a serial killer, you always knew that was some white folk. Because we didn't thought, we didn't think we acted like that. But today you can't tell who gonna go crazy. You can't say, no, it's them over there. No, everybody, because it is a system that is so devoid of God. All right? So an unhealthy conscience stems from a poor consciousness of God. Let's, let's go to the next one, B. But a poor consciousness of God stems from bad company. So when you lose consciousness of God, it messes with your conscience. But your conscience is messed up once you have bad company. All right? Now let's go to C. And I I, I really don't have time to really dig in these things, but I can stop on these three points and just preach from here, but I'm not. So here's C. Who you believe affects what you believe. And what you believe shapes your conscience. So when your consciousness, when your conscience is unhealthy, it's because you don't have a consciousness of God. But many people don't start off without having a consciousness of God. They get around, around bad company. But the bad company, it affects what they believe. And what they believe shapes who you are, and then that affects your whole conscience. And so that's how we got to where we are even in this day and age. And so why would I be talking about that now to you? Because when you look around the room, this church ain't full. So the ones of y'all that are here, and even the ones of y'all that are logged in online, 
you are working on your consciousness of God or else you wouldn't give up your Sunday to come and learn. So why would I, in order to talk about a healthy church, why would I talk about a healthy conscience? Because what I've just shared with you, most of you already know. You, you, you know, you're old enough to know the things that I've talked to you about. You, you, you get old enough, you understand bad company. Some of y'all are so strict with your company, you cut people off at a heartbeat. I ain't got time for that. I ain't got time for no negative thinking, stinking thinking. Listen, you, you, you done block folks number out your phone. They, they have no idea they blocked. They've been calling and have no idea, but you so rigid, you don't want nothing to mess up the direction you're going. So why would I bring this message to you and even close out our series with this? Well, let's pose this question here, and we're going to track and try to go a little deeper. Here's a question. Is it possible to be God conscious and still have an unhealthy conscience? So we originally told you that a, a poor consciousness of God leads to an unhealthy conscience. But is it possible to be awake to God and still have an unhealthy conscience? And my point is absolutely yes it is. Because we have a lot of people who know God, who are awake to God. They know a lot of scriptures. They've been in church all their life, but they are still unhealthy in their conscience. How is that possible? In other words, that little voice inside of them is yet unhealthy. How how do you know that, Pastor Andre? Because I know people who can quote scriptures left and right. I know people who give in the offering. I know people who've got oil at their house and they put the oil on their toilet. They put the oil on their dresser. They, They say, but they're mean. They're saved, but they'll gossip you up one side and down the other. How can you be so saved and nothing on the inside of you tell you that that maybe what you're doing is wrong? How how do you read all the scriptures and miss the ones about love and miss the ones about hate? How, way back in the 1900s, how could you go to church and they come home and beat your slave and have a slave? What was wrong with your conscience? You knew God, but there was something wrong with the inside. And here's the problem with that. See, my Cadillac, if the motor is bad, most of you will never know it because on the outside it still looks good. And you get inside and say, ooh, those seats look good. But the motor is bad. The engine is bad. And I don't care how good it looks on the outside. If that inner thing is messed up, it's really no good. And so, like I talked to you on Family and Friends Day, many of the times the reason why them folk out there no longer turn the music now is not just because they've lost consciousness of God. It's because the people in the church, they don't have what they used to have. They don't have the power that they used to have because they don't have that voice on the inside of them. And the scripture says this. It says the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. But we have people who have no relationship with the Holy Spirit and their conscience is so unhealthy. They have no idea that they are not walking with God. Or let me say it this way. They are walking with God, but they have no idea God's not walking with them. One of the most tragic scriptures in the Bible to me is Samson. When the Bible says Samson woke up on the last time and he shook himself and he did not know that the presence of God had left him. Not only did he not know it had left him, he didn't know when it left. But when we read the story, Delilah was tricking them all the time. And it seemed like Samson would have woke up and realized this woman is bad for me. She's trying to take from me. She's trying to find out where my power comes from. And she keeps on trying to get, get me. And it keeps showing up that she's no good for me. But I keep laying down with her. And on the last time, he had no power, and he didn't know it. How do you not know you've been losing power? Sometimes there's something wrong on the inside. I tell the story all the time about how I went to the grocery store one day, and I went to the grocery store, and then I came out of the grocery store, and my car wouldn't start. 
But on the way to the grocery store, I had the music on. I was digging in the scene with the gangster lean. I had my sunroof open. I was rolling. But while I was rolling, I was losing power the whole time. There was a dead cell in my battery. And even though everything was working well, when I came out of the grocery store, I could not do anything. And now I'm stuck because the roof is open. The windows are down. If it rains, I'm just stuck. But the whole time I was driving, I was losing power and never knew it. But Jesus, on the other hand, when the woman with the issue of blood grabbed the hem of his garment, he stopped and said, virtue has left me. I know when my power is leaving. How do we not know when our power is being ripped away from us? Well, I'm going to give us some things that help us so that we can stay healthy in this area. So first thing we're going to do, we're going to do this. We're going to try to track from simple to deep. So, so far we've been a little bit simple with the approach. We're going to try to go a little deeper. Somebody say go deeper, Pastor. All right. And so let's put this up here. Four types of conscience. Four types of conscience. We're going to work through four types of conscience to help us. And two of them are going to be unhealthy. Two of them are going to be healthy. And so I'm going to try to shape it in the, the story so you understand exactly how to end up with a healthy conscience. That way you stay awake to God in the right way. So number one is this. Number one is a sin conscience, which is unhealthy. Somebody say sin conscience. All right, and so this is, we're going from simple to deep, but this part is simple because we kind of understand this. Let's start with Hebrews 10.22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This lets us know the writer of Hebrews, I wouldn't, I won't say Paul because scholars don't know if Paul wrote it or not. So from here on out, we're going to stay in Hebrews 10 and I'll just say the writer. But the, the writer of Hebrews makes this statement about an evil conscience. And so there is something inside of us, but when it gets contaminated so much, it can become evil. So here it says, let us draw near to God so that we can be clean from an evil conscience. What was interesting is he was writing to people who were awake to God. So that means you can be awake to God and still have an evil sin conscience. And it says, so we draw near to God. The problem with people who have an evil sin conscience is many times they run away from God. But God says, no, draw near to me so I can sprinkle you and I can clean you. All right, so let's let's move further. We're going to actually go back up to the top of the chapter, Hebrews 10, and we're going to read verses 1 and 2. Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Uh-huh, let's go to the next verse. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered since the worshipers purified once and for all would no longer have any consciousness of sin. Consciousness of sin. So now we're going to try to go deeper. So the very simple part of it is if you have an evil conscious, then you know you, you got work to do. You know, I need, hey, I need to get to God. Have you ever had a time of devotion and you were really on point in your devotion and then you start slipping away and everything seems weird and you realize, oh, I need to get back to my devotion and that'll fix it. So that's simple. If I feel like I've drawn away from God, I need to draw near to God. But this next part is quite a bit deeper. Go ahead and and put this graphic up and then I'll, I'll try to explain it. Evil conscience equals sin conscience. But sin consciousness also equals sin conscience. The simple part is if we're evil, we understand, we know we need to get our evil fixed. But the other thing is, what do you mean, Pastor, by a sin consciousness? Well, when you look at what the writer of Hebrews is doing, so the writer of Hebrews is writing after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So the writer of Hebrews understands grace. And so he was talking to the Hebrew people who come out of a life of sacrificing and killing uh, uh, bulls and goats in order for them to have 
of freedom from their sins. They didn't understand the blood of Jesus. They were from an old antiquated system that God was trying to switch and change. And many of them were fighting, holding on to that old tradition. So this writer is letting them know there was a problem with what we were doing. Even though it brought the right results, it was not the best thing for us. So God is changing it and bringing in new order. In other words, he's bringing a new covenant or a new testament to pull us away from the old covenant or the old testament. So in the old testament or the old covenant, they had something what they would call a atonement, which was at least once a year, they would come and they would offer sacrifices for all of the sins they had committed all year long. And so what the writer is saying, the problem with that is, yes, they were forgiven of their sins, but it made them sin conscious. In other words, all the time, they always thought about their sin. So for example, if they made a mistake, they would kind of mentally take a note. I don't know if they wrote it down, but when it came time to crucify the animal, they would have to transfer all the sins they'd done all year long, put it on the animal so God could atone them. So what that did, it made them focus on sin. It made them sin conscious. But when you're sin conscious, it leaves you with a sin conscience. In other words, it affects the inside. Pastor, you confuse me. Let me see if I can explain it to you. Many times there are preachers like me who are told we are wrong because we don't spend a lot of time preaching on sin. The reason why we don't spend a lot of time preaching on sin because sin is the problem. What we should do is spend more time preaching on solution, which is Jesus. But if I always focus on the problem, you don't leave here thinking you can be delivered. You leave here with a sin consciousness. In other words, you leave here thinking and remembering and being reminded of how messed up you are without me telling you there is a savior. See, the reason why Jesus came is not because you were so great. He did not come for the kings. He didn't come for the noble. He came for the jacked up folk. He came for the messed up folk. He came for you and I. And if when you come to church, all I do is remind you of how sinful you are, I'm actually doing you a disservice. Because we all are sinful. We all, the Bible says we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But I'm here to tell you about the solution. Let me give you another example that will paint it even uh, more clear. Let's say I, as a preacher, I pull up to the gas station and my car is empty. And I pull up and you see me at the gas station. I say, hmm, my car is empty. Oh, my car is empty. I got no gas. Touch three people and say, I got no gas. Uh, turn around and say, I got no gas. Get a seat in your hand and say, I got no gas. Somebody would say, but since you're at the gas station, you might as well fill up. Because you're right by the solution, but all you're doing is hooping and hollering about the problem. Don't tell me about the problem. Tell me about the solution. Well, here you come to church with your gay self and with your drunk self and your dress is too short. Why do we keep pointing out the problem instead of pointing out there is a God that can save you? There is a God that will love you. There is a God that will wrap his arms around you where you need to stop the marijuana. I could talk about that, but I'd rather talk about the solution because if I keep talking about the problem, when you leave here, you leave with a sin consciousness and it never fixes the inside because every other surgeon that operates they have to operate from the outside in Jesus is the only one and God is the only one that can operate from the inside out so if I get you to drink of him and drink of Jesus. If I get you to get him on the inside, he'll do the surgery that he needs on the inside. I don't have to tell you about the problems on the outside. I got to tell you about the solution and say, grab hold of Jesus because Jesus saves. Yeah. To the utmost, Jesus saves. Do you understand that Jesus actually is the English version of Yeshua, which is the uh, Hebrew version of Joshua, which actually means the Lord saves? 
And so why do we always tell people about the problem? I'm not saying that we shouldn't point out some of their issues, especially when you're mentoring and discipling people. It's nothing wrong. The Bible says we speak the truth in love. The truth is the truth, but we can't be so sin conscious that we lose the fact of God on the inside. All right, let's let's track. If you're tracking with me, somebody say amen. amen. All right, let's let's move for, further. And I believe I've got Hebrews uh, 10, 3 through 4. This explains it even more. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. So what happens is, like I told you, the sacrifices, it just kept reminding them of the sin. Kept reminding them of how bad they are. Let me Let me be honest with you. Can't nobody beat you up like you. And when you get in the sin conscious cycle, I don't care how much I say, Teresa, I see God working in your life. But Teresa says, yeah, but you don't know how I really am. I'm not saying you shouldn't be honest, but sometimes you're so stuck in the cycle that you can't even see that God is really working on you. Let me give you another example. You you ever known someone to go through a weight loss journey? And you can see how good they look. But when you tell them, ah, but I got 50 more to lose. But you're not celebrating the 75 you already lost. You see, you keep looking in the mirror and you keep seeing yourself as fat, but you're changing. You're being reshaped. Everybody else can see how good you're doing, but you still see yourself as the bad person. And as long as you're reminded of what you're not, you forget to know who you are in God which we talked about last week, who you are. You lose your identity. Yes, you're not perfect, but God is working on you. So you don't need to be reminded over and over of all the things you've done wrong. Yes, you got to think about them, but then you got to get up and move on. Some of y'all are still thinking about stuff that happened 25 years ago. No, man, I shouldn't have slept with with her man. No, you shouldn't have slept with her man. But that was 25 years ago. Move on. And every time something goes wrong, you blame yourself. My car broke down. And God get me for sleeping for that man 25 years ago. God done forgot that. Your car broke down because you ain't putting no oil in it. Stop being so deep. Just go get an oil taste and get back on the road. Let's look at verse 4. For it is impossible... For the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So God was just helping them. But at the end of the day, it was impossible for uh, the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So let's put it in our term, our vernacular, our day. All your thinking about it, all your crying about it, all your guilt and shame does not have the power to take the sin away. So at some point, you're going to have to stop crying over spilled milk and you're going to have to start saying, God, I'm going to walk with you the best way I know how. And the scripture says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren and it says he accuses them night and day. So every time you try to do something good, the devil is going to bring up all the things you don't have right. He's going to do that, but that's his job. And sometimes you just got to tune the devil out and say, yes, that was me, but I'm being changed into the image of God. All right, so let's look at Hebrews 10, 11, skipping down a few verses. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. So they, the priest would kept do, kept doing that, but it really could never take away sins. It was the best thing that God could use at the time because his son had not shown up. And so sometimes as a pastor, you have people that are always rehearsing old stuff or what they were and what they used to be. Well, well you, don't, you don't know what I've done. No, I don't know what you've done, and I don't need to know all you've done. All I know is what you've d- done brought you to this place right now. Let's figure out how we're going to move from this day forward. All right, let's uh, go to verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, Mm -hmm. he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, when somebody sits down, they sit down because they're at a state of rest. When you are working, you don't sit down. 
You sit down when you're done working. So why would Jesus, after the cross, sit down? Because one of the last things he said on the cross is, it is finished. And after he finished, he sat down. So that brings me to the next conscious, conscious number two, which is this, a sacrifice conscience, which is healthy. So a sin conscience is unhealthy in two ways. Number one, when we're just plain evil. Number two, when we keep focusing on the times we were just plain evil, that we can't get over the hump. But now we have to be sacrifice conscious. What that means is, yes, there's some times I've been pure evil. And there's some times pure evil has been done to me. In other words, I did it on my own. Sometimes somebody provoked me and pushed me. At the end of the day, no matter how I got there, I got into evil. I got into sin. However, before I was ever born, there was a sacrifice that was sacrificed for me. And the Bible says that behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Which means before I ever showed up, before I ever came out the womb, before I ever did a sin, the price for my sin was already paid. It was nailed to the cross. It was paid with his own blood. So at some point, I have to, instead of reminding myself of my sin, I have to remind myself of the sacrifice. I got to remind myself that when Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross for me. If nobody else was in the world, he died just for me. My sins alone put him on the cross. But here's the thing that I got to be reminded of is he said yes to die for the sin. So, if he died for my sin, why am I focused on it so much? Now, you have to have some focus, but not an over-focus. Because it's already paid for. Okay? Um, I pay for you to have a room at a five-star hotel. And I come to check on you. You're supposed to be in your room. But you down at the desk trying to get them to take your credit card so you can pay for a room that's already paid for. Now, you should be up there resting, enjoying what I've done, but it's so hard for you to receive. You over there fighting with the people, but the room has already paid. It's already in my name. I didn't already charge it to my car. Go up there and rest, but you don't know how to rest because all you know is... I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. No, you're not worthy. None of us are worthy, but the price is already paid. Well, pastor, I ain't never been in a five-star hotel. I don't know how to act in a five-star hotel. Go and try because the price is already paid. Well, well, what happens if you go to the five-star hotel and you don't do it right? And you actually do something embarrassing. Maybe you, you come down to breakfast in your drawers. Because you, you, you're not used to being in a nice place. Well, in God, you get another chance. He'll take you out of that hotel and put you in a different hotel and remind you, don't do what you did the last time, but just fix it and do something different. Because whatever you need, the price has still been paid. And so when you're sacrifice conscious, you realize you have a chance to get it right. It's not that you're happy doing wrong, but you know that God's not going to kick you out because you're done wrong because he already paid the price. So why should he waste his blood when the price is already paid? Me and my son, Draylon, when we go to Porter, we sometimes get in a little bit of an argument because he orders a certain thing that has pineapples and mushrooms. And he says, take the pineapples off and don't bring it to me. And I say, no, order them on the side and give them to me. He's like, daddy, why would you do that? Because I'm paying for it. You may not want them, but since it comes with the meal, and since the price is still the price, I might as well enjoy the pineapples you don't want. 
Well, if you don't want this grace, I'm going to take it. If you don't want this mercy, I'm going to take it. Because the price has already been paid. You got to think about the sacrifice. All right, let's let's move on. Let's put this point up. Sacrifice conscience is being conscious that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. There's nothing I can do greater than what he's already done. Sometimes you may do something and you have to apologize. And you apologize, and they may not accept your apology. Really, there's nothing else you can do beyond your changed behavior. If they don't accept it, there's nothing you can do. Yes, you did it. Yes, it was wrong. But now you just got to move on, you and Jesus. And and you got to hope that Jesus would prove to them you meant it from your heart. You have to stop trying to grovel and make people like you that don't like you. You got to learn. You don't have time for that. You just got to move on sometimes. All right, let's go right, move right along. Here is the third one. This is another healthy one. So the first one was unhealthy. The second one was healthy. Here's the third one, and this is healthy too. This is a sanctified conscience. So read Hebrews ten fourteen. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So, Pastor, when you talk about the price has already been paid, that would make people think they don't have to do anything. Well, it's true. You don't have to do anything. However, God sanctifies those that he has sacrificed for. In other words, he already paid the price, but he don't want to leave you like he found you. So there's a process of sanctification where he makes you and molds you into the person that you need to be. He instructs you. And sometimes in order to do that, sometimes he has to whoop you. Sometimes he has to spank you. The Bible says the Lord chastens or chastises those that he loves. So don't assume just because you're not sin conscious and you're focused on the sacrifice that God is just going to allow you to do any and everything. No, he begins to sanctify you. But it's the process of sanctification that sometimes we want to rush in other people. We don't mind sanctification being a process for us. But we want it to be sped up for them. So, whoo, they need to put them cigarettes away. Breath smells so bad. And they they smoke the menthol ones, the, the new ports. But you forget when you used to smoke. Now, when you used to smoke, you wanted everybody to give you grace and give you time and give you space. But now you no longer have that trouble. You want to rush everybody else. No, understand that sanctification is a process. It was a process for you and it might be a process for them. So you keep loving on people and also learn that God is still sanctifying you. He is still processing you. He's still working on you. And in the process of your sanctification, it sometimes seems that God is harder on you than he is on them. But that's none of your business. Jesus, after he had had risen, one time he shows up, he, he tabernacled in the earth 40 days before he ascended into heaven. And on one of the times he was on uh, the shore and the fishermen seen him from, from the boat and Peter jumped in and swam to him because they realized it was Jesus. They couldn't tell who it was, but they realized it was Jesus. And Jesus told Peter about the walk that he was going to have to take. And he was telling Peter basically how he was going to go through a hard, rough time. And Peter, being Peter, looked over, and I'm paraphrasing, he looked over at John and said, what about him? And Jesus told Peter, he said, "What well, basically what I do with him is none of your business. I'm talking about you. And if we know anything about history, Peter was actually crucified upside down. He said, I'm not even worthy to be crucified like my Savior. So turn the cross upside down. But John, he actually died a natural death. And he was boiled in oil, but he, he died a natural death. And so what Jesus was telling Peter, what I do with you has got nothing to do with what I do with someone else. 
And it's a possibility that things are harder for you than it is for someone else. It's a possibility they may get blessed quicker than you and they're not doing what you do. I got preachers that don't study like I study and have bigger churches than me. They're doing more than me and don't have the anointing I have. But guess what? It ain't none of my business. But what I have learned to whom much is given, much is required. It's a possibility it's harder for you because the blessing is bigger. Let, 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 let me let me say something. There, there was a elephant and a dog. And it was a female dog and it was a female elephant. And they were both pregnant. At the same time. And when the dog gave birth, the elephant was still pregnant. So the dog laughed at the elephant and says, you still pregnant. Ha, ha, ha. I done already birthed a litter of puppies. But the elephant said, what you're birthing is little. But what I'm birthing is huge. So it may take longer for me to push out what I'm going to push out. But the thing about it is when my baby elephant shows up, it can crush every one of your puppies if it wanted to because I'm carrying something much bigger than what you're carrying. Stop worrying about the little puppy mentality. You're carrying an elephant. You got an elephant business. You got an elephant anointing. You got an elephant promotion in you. So it's been hard for you. It's been excruciating for you. But you're bigger than what the people around you are. And when you produce what you're going to produce, the whole world would know it. Because when a baby elephant drops out, the ground shakes. And when I do what God has called me to do, the whole city going to shake. They're going to know I done showed up because I've been carrying something great. Stop worrying about everybody else and worry about yourself. But in the end, it's going to be worth it all. Through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. Through it all, I've learned to depend upon the Lord. Yeah. All right, let's, let's put this up. Coming to a close. Sanctified conscience is realizing I'm considered perfect because of the ultimate sacrifice, but I still need sanctification to be healthy. We're talking about healthy church. So there's still some stuff that needs to drop off of me. So God, it's good for me to hear you say no when I want you to say yes. It's good for you to close some doors for me because if I went in that door, I may not be where I am today. I'm glad of some of the relationships that didn't work because I wouldn't have who I have right now. I'm glad some of the friends left me because I might be in a jail cell if I followed them friends. I'm glad you said no to me. I'm glad you sanctified me. I'm glad you stopped some stuff for me. I'm glad you made me not feel comfortable with this. I can't do what everybody else does. But I'm glad about it because I see where my destiny is. If I take you in my car right now and I say I'm going to take you to Chicago, you don't have a whole lot you got to do. All you got to do is get in my car. But if I tell you I bought a ticket for you to fly to Chicago, it's a whole lot you got to do. You need your license. You got to be at the airport at a certain time because flying is different than driving. Flying goes into high altitudes. And when you're going into high altitudes, you can't just do any and everything. When you're going up high, and because some of y'all are going up high, it's not as easy as it should be. It's a much more difficult, but because of the altitude you're about to be cruising at. Because And here's another thing. If I drove you in a car to Chicago, it's going to take about... About four hours or three if I take the fast toll road. But a flight from Indy to Chicago is 30 minutes. You'll get there faster, but you got to go through some more stuff. You'll get there faster, but you got to go higher up. It's a little bit different. It's not the same. So you got to understand your blessing is not the same. Your blessing isn't a Mickey Mouse blessing. It's not a Lego blessing. Your blessing is not a cartoon blessing. It's a real blessing. So it's going to take more work. It's going to take more sanctification. It's going to take more mountains. It's going to take more troubles. But baby, when you get to what God has for you, the whole world's going to know it. So I'm willing to be sanctified 
take up my cross and follow him. All right, Hebrews 10, 23 through 26. This is going to be our last, uh, moving to our last point. Read these verses. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. So it tells us to hold on. Why should we hold on? Because everything in life is trying to wrestle it away from us. So we got to hold on. Read. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. All right. Read. Not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, Uh but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approach. So that's why we come to church and we don't neglect going to church. It's not just to get a word. It's so we can encourage each other. So we can keep each other holding on. See, because we would have quit a long time ago, but because we gathered together. But it says the manner, and this was written thousands of years ago, the manner of some, some folk is to skip church. We don't need it, but I need it because I need the encouragement of you. I need you pushing me on because I would have quit if it wasn't for you. If I didn't have to look you in the face and I know you've been praying for me. That's why I got up and I keep pushing through because I know you believe in me and I don't want to let you down. And that's what a healthy church does. It encourages in the most hard of times. It encourages us that you can still make it. I can still do it. And I don't have to have a church full to be encouraged. I just need a few of us because we're two or three are gathered together in my name. There I am in the midst of God and I'm so glad sometimes I come in here sick but y'all light me on fire. I come in here tired but you encourage me to keep going. I come in here grieving but you encourage me to keep going. I wouldn't let go of the church even if you tried to make me because I need the church. I need the saints of God. I need the people of God. You are delivering puppies. That's why you don't need the church. I'm delivering elephants. I need somebody rallying around me. I need some prayer warriors. I need the angels of the Lord helping me. I would have lost my mind if it wasn't for the hand of the Lord. If it wasn't for the people of God. I need the church. And I need a healthy church. I need a healed church. I don't need a trauma church. I need a healed church. Because I'm going through hell. But if I can hold on to your hand, you can walk me through it. We can come out of this hell together. I'm climbing up a mountain. But if you got my back, I won't slide back down. I'm going through it, but I got my people with me. Uh, If I was a 90s rapper, I'd say, gladiators, mount up. Come on. Drop down to verse 29. Uh, no, I think we got another. Go back. We, we missed one verse. Verse 26. For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. No longer remains a sacrifice for sin. What does this mean, Pastor Mitchell? It doesn't mean you cannot be forgiven. But what it means is he's not getting back up on the cross again. He didn't already done that. So if you keep deliberately walking away, now in context, some of y'all would say, well, that's me because I keep failing. That's not the context he's talking about. The context is there's people who get away from the church. They run away from the church and just do their own thing. And what God says, if you keep doing that, I'm not getting back up on the cross. So if you belong here, you better show up here because I'm not protecting you when you're outside of my cover. I, I, I got to move on, but let me let me say this: that there, when we think about Lot's wife, the scripture says that Lot's wife they were running away from the city and she turned back. The scripture says she turned into a pillar of salt. When you study it, it seems as what happens was she turned. When she turned, she turned away from the covering of God and stepped back into what was being destroyed. And I can't help you if you're going back to the wrong thing. I can't save you. Keep going back to the wrong thing. So you got to learn how to move in the right direction while the time is right. All right. So let's look at verse 29. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant, which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained 
the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. I ain't talking about y'all because y'all didn't show up to church. This ain't y'all. But just let me, since it's in the scripture, let me say it. It's not that God is weak. He's not weak. But if you are sacrifice conscience and sanctify conscience, you won't trample the blood of Jesus. Let's go back to the story. I, I, I bought you a hotel and I paid for the hotel and I come down and you over there still battling, trying to pay for it. And I come to you, I say, sweetheart, it's already paid. And you turn a spit in my face. Something wrong with your head. Cause I done done too much for you to treat me like that. And what God is saying, I done, yeah, your life may be, not be perfect, but I've been too good to you to trample my blood like you trampling my blood. So that leads me to this. And it says, uh, uh, it says in outrage. I, I'm going to read this. That's the New Living Translation. I'm going to read it in the, the English Standard Version. It won't be up there. I'll just read it. Did, let me let me go back here. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he is sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? God's grace is good, but don't outrage his grace. So that leads me to the final one, and this is unhealthy. We're going to close on a sour note a little bit. This is a seared conscience. So what is the seared conscience? We'll, we'll give you a, a scripture that'll help us. First Timothy 4, 1 through 2. Now Read the that. spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, mm-hmm. giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Let's read that next verse. They forbid marriage and demand. No, abs- hold on. We're missing something. Let's, let, let's go. Let's go backwards to. Uh, verse two. Maybe I don't have it up there. Let me let me uh, read it in King James. Says, Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Yeah, there it is. That's that's what I'm looking for. So let let me give you just an example. So these are people who know about God, but then have drifted so far away and done so much. And we're not talking about they made some mistakes and God is trying to help and they're struggling. We're talking about they just start. They just didn't got bold. And this done walked away from God and start believing all kinds of stuff. Next thing you know, they pray in the crystals with the universe. No way. It's like you was raised in church and now it's the universe is crystals. You throwing sage over your shoulders. I love you, but I can't hang around because that ain't how I was raised. That ain't the God that I know. And it says then their conscience gets seared. And an example of that is you ever drank something that was too hot and it kind of burned your taste buds. And for the rest of the day, you can't taste properly. Because your taste bud has been seared. When a person's conscience is seared, they start doing wrong and they call it right. And if you tell them it's wrong, they'll tell you you the one that's crazy. They'll talk about you like a dog. You, I don't know what you're doing going to church and giving your money to them crooked preachers. Wait a second. You give your money to everything and now all of a sudden I, you, you, you done bought 10,000 bags of weed but I can't give money to the church. What's wrong? What's wrong with you? Now, if you, if that's what you want to do, do what you want to do. But how am I the silly one? Because I done came to church. And this is the church where my baby got baptized. This is the church where that took care of me. And you telling me I can't give to the church? I'm not the crazy one. Something's wrong with your mind. Yeah. We got people going up and they're turning. They're believing lies. And they're turning into all kinds of things. And their conscience have got seared to the point where they don't even know right from wrong anymore. And the crazy thing, we're not talking about sinners. We're talking about people who knew God at one point and have drifted away. Let's read the final verses and we'll close. So this, this is actually, the writer t- takes a turn. Because when you hear stuff like this, we think about the people we know that have done all kinds of crazy stuff. Like they was married and next thing you know, they, they you find out they got a whole family somewhere else. And then they done divorced and they swapping people. We think about all that kind of crazy stuff, which which is totally wrong and evil. But think, look at what the writer actually says, and it actually it actually probably surprised you. Let's just read this. They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. It's a, actually how you know somebody has a seer conscience. They start putting a whole bunch of rules that are nowhere in the Bible. They start bringing up old rules. Now take that pork off your plate. 
because they didn't eat that back in the Old Testament. No, they didn't. But this is the New Testament, and I done prayed over it. And they will, they will dog you because of what you eat. Go buy some Christmas gifts and watch people tell you how you can't have Christmas and, and you can't do Easter because their minds have been seared. They got caught up in all these new doctrines and stuff, and all they want to do is tell people what they can and cannot do. And some of, the, some of your family members, just don't listen to them. Don't let them bother you. Do what you want to do. If you want to eat a BLT, eat a BLT and let God bless it. Let God touch it. If you don't need to eat it, don't need to eat it, but you're not under some rule book. You're not under some laws. You're under the power and the presence of God. How can I say that? Read the next verse. And this is how we'll close. Verse 4. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So stop letting people control you. Well, somebody said, well, that's weed. Weed weed is made, so I'm receiving it. Let's not take it too far. But here's the point. If you pray over the stuff that God has told you to do, you check with God and God tells you to do it, do it and don't let nobody dog you out about it. Well, I don't think you need to be going to no Fantasia and Joe concert. Well, they in town and I like her and I like him and I'm still going to church. So I'm going to buy my ticket. If you're not saved enough to go, you don't go, but I'm going to go and I'm still saved. Got no business at the Circle City Classic. Listen, worry about yourself. You do you, let me do me, and you'll find out at the end of the day, I may still be further ahead than you. Why you start worrying about what I'm doing? How about you get in the book for yourself? And so even the writer of Hebrews was telling them they've been, they were putting a whole bunch of rules on folk that wasn't even godly, that had a messed up conscience. So all we want to focus is on is the sanctified conscience and the sacrifice conscience. And that will keep us in what we need to be. And that will have us with a healthy conscience. So come on, let's rise to our feet. Amen. Thank you for your mm-hmm. And let's bow our heads. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you and we love you. God, we want to have a healthy conscience as we close this uh, part of this series out God, our consciousness of you, we want it to be where it needs to be, and we want to be conscious of your sacrifice as well as your sanctification in our lives. And we don't want to have a sin conscience or a seared conscience. We want to have a healthy conscience that shows you are working in our lives and shows that we have a heart to come to the house of God and to grow and to be discipled and be the women and the men that you've called us to be. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. God, if there's anybody here who does not know you as their Savior, I'm praying that they would just open themselves up to you and say, Lord, save me and come into my life. And God, save them, save the backslidden, and do what needs to be done. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great and wonderful week. (laughs) 